Good morning, Grace Church of DuPage. Good to see you all. It really is. Hey, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of a, an intro, introductory word. How's that? Whenever I, I don't know if any of you, boy, when I was here the, in my first run, I call it, uh, I call it, can, I call it Grace Church 1.0. I had a chance to teach some parenting classes. And one of the things I would teach parents, the goal of their home, and I'd use an, I'd use an image. I'd use an image of a garage. Think of your garage with your garage door open. And a mailbox at the end of your driveway in which there's something that you really want and you got to get. And the third part of the story is a monsoon that's happening outside. So typically what you would do is you would run and grab that mail. And at this point you're wet. There's crackles of thunder, flashes of lightning. And you'd run. And then once you got into the garage, the rain had stopped. You had come out of the rain. And what I would teach is, that's how you want your home to be. As you all leave your home in the morning, or if, if you leave your home in the morning, you're going out into the world. And you're being peppered and belted with your own sinful heart, fellow sinners you work with or you interact with, tough situations, flat tires, and everything in between. But when you come home, that home has to be this, this respite, like coming out of the rain into the garage. That's how Christ's church ought to be as well, because we are a household as well. One of the things I get the great privilege of uh, talking to folks in my role as an elder who oversees certain things, our visitors, and then eventually following on and new members, and I, I always ask people who come, what brought you here? And the response is usually the same. It's the doctrine and it's the teaching. It's a good thing. So we put it right out there for you. We got this doctrinal statement that's 1,462 pages long, annotated, of course, and we preach the truth, whether it's Sunday morning in ABF here, Sunday nights, Wednesdays, so we proclaim the truth. That's why people oftentimes come, but it's when they come back, then I say, all right, well, the truth brought you here, what brought you back? Because that, to me, is the more important question. And it's almost uniformed in the answers I get. It is, there is a sense of love and peace present here. Y'all love one another. And I'm like, that's the garage. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. So it's fascinating. So we're not hearing from the book of Revelation today. We're not. So be in prayer for Pastor Worley and Jean because they are, hopefully, getting some much-needed time away and rest. And they're in a season where that is at a premium, so pray for them. It's been a, it's been a particularly intense season. 
So I was, I was thinking, it's, it's hard when you step out of a book. What do you teach? I mean, we're stepping out of Revelation for two weeks. What in the world do you do with that? And so Pastor Worley, by the grace of God, says, well, how about if you taught, acknowledging why do people come back? They come back because of this sense of love and this sense of unity and this sense of peace. What if you taught on that from Ephesians chapter 4? And I'm like, well, by golly, I'm going to do that. So that's what I'm going to do. Because, like, there's a lot of reasons. So, so when we're out in the rain of the world, we're out of the rain of the world, we bring some wetness into the garage with us. It's just how it works. We don't come out of it unscathed. And one thing we can say about our world, the culture we're in, is our culture is very divided and the posture of everything from news to worldviews to educational curriculum seems to want to divide even more, drive a spirit of division. And much like the family in those parenting classes can't be like that, the household of God can't be like that. But we have to be on guard because we spend a lot of time away from one another in the world, in the rain, so we got to be aware of some things just to keep our guards up. Also, the last thing, and then I promise, boy, I don't want my introduction to be longer than the message, is, um, I don't know how far this camera goes. Um, <laughs> I'm a big believer in one basic human maxim, and that is people do what they value. So if I would rather uh, go to lunch at Wendy's rather than Burger King, it's because I value Wendy's French fries. I do what I value. Frosties aren't bad either. So we don't want to, as Paul's talking about unity from Ephesians chapter 4, we want to understand why there's an immense value. What, what do we want to value? What do we want to value that makes us want to strive for the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. And that's what we want to get at today. That's what we want to get at today. So I'd invite you to, once again, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'm a little out of order according to how we usually do things. I'm a, I'm a reader first, then a prayer. I don't think necessarily I will get my union card yanked if I do it out of order. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. This morning, we're only going to focus on verses 1 through 6. And so next week, God allowing, if he lets me come back, or if you all let me come back, I will read the same passage again, and we will focus on verses 7 through 16. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body Join and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. What an incredible passage. And Father, if we just follow... Paul, from the beginning of the letter, it's just amazing. It's breathtaking. All the things that are ours in Christ, all the things that we are being made into to reflect the image of Christ. Father, we've given you glory already this morning through song and through prayer. Father, we've given you glory even at the beginning of, of, of this moment by talking about the peace and the love and the joy that exists in Christ's church here in Warrenville. And that is a result of your grace alone, the working of your spirit. Because, Father, if we were left to our own devices, we would be as divisive um, as the world around us. So, Lord, this morning we come we come to the feet of the Master. We desire to learn. We desire to grow. We desire to take your word back out into the rain this week as ambassadors of Christ, as reflectors of the triune God, as redeemed, remade image bearers to show glory, to show light into the darkness. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, I've broken down this passage into four parts. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to work this on my own today, and I don't know how it's going to go, so bear with me. It's going to be exciting, though. So here's my four parts of, um, it's, it's in your bulletin as well. 
My first, my first portion is going to be called, we've been called to something. We've been called to something. The second part is, well, what is that something? I'm going to leave you hanging. You have to tune in next week. Number three, how do we get that something? And number four, what is the center? What is the center of that something? So point number one, we've been called to something. If we look at the text, Paul says we have a calling to which we've been called. And look how Paul refers to himself. Much like at the beginning of chapter 3, he calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. Notice he doesn't say a prisoner to Rome. He says a prisoner for Christ. And this prisoner has a very important message for the church in Ephesus. You have a calling to which you've been called. There is an incredible privilege bestowed upon you. And the call is to walk worthy of that calling. And what is that calling? Well, if you read chapters 1 through 3, it fills it out in beautiful detail. Beautiful detail. And part of that is the fact that what God is doing, God's got a plan that we get to participate in. He is taking Everything that is scattered, everything that is scattered by sin, everything that is scattered by rebellion, everything that is scattered because we're trying to live life as though there is no God, and he's uniting all things in heaven and earth in Jesus Christ, and we get to be part of that. Flip back just for a second to, to Ephesians chapter 1. And if we look at verses 7 through 10, I just, I just use the language of uniting. If we look at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, we find these words. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. There's a gospel message, which, so this grace, he lavished upon us. God is so generous in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And part of God's divine plan and purpose is this grand reuniting. Verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite, to unite, to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. God's grand plan is the grand reunification of all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. We're not going to go there in depth, but if we were to turn to chapter 2, we see that that is vividly displayed by the unifying of Jew and Gentile. We are part of this great reunification because we have been 
reunified, united, reconciled to God. This is undoing the scattering that is brought about by sin. We see a picture of that scattering at the Tower of Babel. People go, there's languages confused, and there's all sorts of tribes, tongue, and languages, and we know as we get to the book of Revelation, at the throne are people from all of those tribes, tongues, and languages. We get to be a picture, or we get to be, we have the privilege of being part of this. This is our calling. This is our privilege. Salvation is much more than an individual plan for sinners to escape going to hell. Praise God, that's one of the benefits. But that's not the entirety of the story. This is much more about just us. This is about we are called by God through Christ, and in Christ and through Christ is the forgiveness of sin, is the rescue from judgment, is eternal life. Amen, 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 amen. But it's also we are called to participate in this grand plan that God has to unite what was scattered in Christ. Salvation is about getting called into something far bigger. So many people today, and we really see this in our culture, There's a hunger and a thirst for something bigger. I think a lot of the worldviews you see being espoused today, things that are sweeping through college campuses, is a reflection of people seeking to be part of something bigger. Something large in scale, something global, a movement. They want to be part of this movement. I want to be part of this big thing. And I would argue the big thing, the real deal, is happening for Christians who get to participate in the true bringing together, the unification in the kingdom of God under the lordship of Christ. But there is something still that humanity is longing for. Why is that? Because you're created to long for this unity. We know that they're created to long for the unity that is unification with God. They're they're, they're created. We're created to live in unity and harmony with God. That's our createdness. Sin separates us from God, but yet there's this longing to be one, to be unified. So we look for all sorts of things, all sorts of greater causes, And we Christians possess the genuine article. One of the most popular songs ever written is a song written by an ex-Beatle named John Lennon. It's a song called Imagine. And this is, this. I, I remember seeing this at the last Olympics, at the opening ceremonies. They were doing some sort of interpretive dance or whatever. I, to the song Imagine. And that song, Imagine, is espousing a, a worldview. So I'm just going to put up there, probably for the first time in history, on the screen, John Lennon lyrics at Grace Church of DuPage. 
So, hey, you can come visit me at my next church. I'll make sure I send ahead. <laughs> but I want you to just notice, and remember, this is one of the most popular songs in history. So I got to actually, because I'm way behind on the slides here. Here's the first, this is the first, um, the first verse. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. So the first premise of Imagine, again, a popular song, is the key to what we're trying to get after is to remove God. To remove something above us, something below us, something after this. And then in the last verse, the last verse, we see what the grand purpose is. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and here it is, and the world will live as one. And it's easy to pick low-hanging fruit from a, a Christian pulpit, right? I, I'm not looking to do that. I'm just looking to point something out. So the worldview here is that if we can just get rid of the things that divide, like religion, man can then be unified and live in perfect, unified harmony. That's a myth, right? Uh, we, we would all agree that that's just not true. But I would argue that last sentence, that last phrase is an expression of a longing that all humanity has. There's a desire to live in unity. There's a desire to live in harmony. There's a desire to live in peace. Of course, we would say, we would say, the only true unity among humanity happens when sinners rebels, of which I am chief, when they are forgiven, when they are reconciled, when they are adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. Because now we all share something in common, and that is the same indwelling spirit. And then before I leave this point, and then I'm, I'm finished, I don't want to beat it into the ground, the world, and just notice the pathways, this is what's important. The world encourages godlessness. And I mean that godlessness in the most literal sense. Operating as though God does not exist. Godlessness. The world encourages godlessness as a path to unity. But God's path to unity is faith and godliness. Faith and godliness. So that was all under number one, which is the great calling to which we've been called. We've been called to something. And then our next question is, what is that something? In this portion of Paul's letter, it is defined in verse number three. It is defined in verse number three. 
There's much to we've been, that we've been called to, but in this portion of the letter, Paul is going to describe the calling as the unity of the Spirit maintaining, maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. That is part, that is part of the calling, to maintain that. To be a place where the genuine article in a world that's promising us, there will be peace if we could just live as one. They're promising that. All that you have to do is drop all of your convictions about there being a God. And we are to be a place where we say, well, no, there, there is a God. There is a holy God. A holy God against whom we have rebelled, we've sinned. And yet there is a gracious God that gave his son so that we may be rescued, we may be redeemed, we may be forgiven simply by trusting in the son. We have the genuine article present here. And if you look, there's four important words. There's many actually more than that. But, I, but these four important words, unity, spirit, bond, and peace. When we talk about unity, this is part of God's plan in Ephesians 1.10. To take all of us different rascals. I'm always fond of saying from the pulpit, look it, if it weren't for the Spirit, and it weren't for the Gospel, and it weren't from the church, we probably wouldn't be hanging out with one another. Because we're pretty different folks. We come from different backgrounds. We have so different socioeconomic levels. We have different hobbies and desires. We are truly a diverse group. And what God does through the gospel is it takes all of us with all of our differences, and some of those we're going to talk about next week, all of those differences, and he makes us live together as a family. How does that ever happen? Only by the next word in our word list. Only by the Spirit of God. Pinochle groups? I don't even know what pinochle is, and I always use it. Somebody needs to send me like a Wikipedia or something like that. Pinochle groups will never get true unity. Neighborhood association meetings will never have true unity. Fantasy football clubs will never have true unity. Uh-oh. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> the only way it will happen is if we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Humanity is totally incapable of generating unity. That's why the call of the song Imagine is a myth. It, it just can't happen. It's something that just can't be true because it doesn't have God, and in particular, it doesn't have the Holy Spirit involved, the unifier. Because we are by nature self-serving. We are by nature self-idolaters. We'll participate in unity until it costs us something. We'll, we'll participate in unity as long as our preferences are being met. 
And it is only a regenerating, a remaking of the Holy Spirit, an indwelling and leading of the Holy Spirit, and a conviction from the Holy Spirit when we step off the path that will lead us to what I'm calling a wonderful shackling. And that is the bonds of peace. The bonds of peace. So if we noted in verse verse 1, Paul describes himself as a prisoner of or for the Lord. And we know prisoners most often, so this is going to be a very vivid picture, very vivid picture to Paul. Chains hold people in place. They restrain people. They hold things together. So part of the something to which we are called is to live in a peace that results from a spirit-driven unity. If you were to look at Grace Church DuPage, it's very fascinating. So as I mentioned earlier, we have folks who come, and I think if, you, if you're part of this family, you would say, the Spirit of God is present in a way here where this body is an extra loving and gracious body. So we're going to put that on one side of the sheet. On the other side of the sheet, we would also say this is a body that has walked through some incredibly intense trials over the past years. There have been some pretty big waves that have hit the boat. I don't think we could separate those two things. I don't think we can separate those two things. Part of the reason why there has been such an amount of love and peace on display is because of those trials. Because there's a desire to maintain the unity and the bonds of the or in the, in, in the unity of the Spirit, the bonds of peace. There's such a desire, and there's such a desire to love. They, they work together. So we get to this peace, we get to this unity through trial. We can't separate those two. That peace flows through a unity, and that unity oftentimes is driven by coming together by trial. So while we grieve these trials, how do we give God glory for the trials? Part of it is the results it's yielded. And we get to taste of that here at Grace Church of DuPage. And this, this peace that comes from unity, this peace that comes from unity is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to Paul. Why would you say that? Why would you say that? Because, look at this, if you look at the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3 are this beautiful, deep, glorious expression of the gospel and of kingdom truth. And then we turn the page to chapter 4, and now he's going to get to the practical outworkings. All right, hey man, now you got, now you got Ephesians 1 through 3 in the backpack, how do we start walking this life? He turns to the practical, and where does he start? 
He starts with a call to live worthy of your calling. And where does he start that? He starts by maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. That's where Paul goes. You could, you could be the most doctrinally sound church. You could get up here and recite Ephesians 1 through 3 in five different languages, but if it is not yielding an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace, you're missing the calling. And notice in all my word phrasing, I have skipped the word eager, and I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. So we are called to something, and that something in Ephesians 4 in particular is the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. So then point number three is, how do we get that something? All right, so Paul says, man, we got to be eager to maintain this. It's part of fulfilling our calling based on all of that glory of chapters 1 through 3. How do we get that something? And once again... Once again, we get four words or a short phrase. He lists four essentials towards this unifying peace. John Stott, who's just one of my favorite commentators, it's like every time I read it, it doesn't matter what he's, he's commenting on. I always, I always uh, gain. Look, I'm, I'm doing tricks. I'm going backwards. So, so John Stott would say these four things are links of the chain, links of the bond of peace that flows from the unity of the Spirit. And those four things, very simply, very simply are humility, this is in verse 2, humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing in love. The first two are very closely linked, humility and gentleness, the last two, patience and bearing with one another in love, closely linked. To walk worthy of our calling, to be eager to maintain, to foster the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace, it takes humility. A willingness to die to yourself for the good of the body. That's what we're called to do. A willingness to esteem others better than yourself. A willingness to take the posture of a servant. A willingness to not have our will, our preferences, be king. This is huge. Because when folks... Well, I, look at I'm maturing. I'm starting to choose my words carefully. Thank you, Lord. When folks are trying to practice the, uh, when they're engaging in church shopping. There you go. That was gentle. So when folks are, 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 are church shopping, as it's come to be known, most often what they are doing is they are looking to find a church that meets their preferences. So a lot of times it's akin, it's akin to like a gym membership. I, I, I need, a, I need a, 
a, a, a gym that has strong treadmills. Clearly, this is, this is, this is apocryphal here. I'm not, we're not talking about me. But the problem is, is that once they find a gym that has better treadmills, they're off and running. Now, there are essentials church must have, essentials. But then there are also preferences that kind of fill in some of the gaps. If we remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. I would argue the two hardest words in Scripture are deny yourself. That's really hard. But that's the call of our Lord to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Following Christ, being part of the kingdom, is self-denial. And the local body is where that self-denial must be practiced. It must be on display. And yet in this body, in this body, we've got this gathering of gifts. We've got this gathering of strengths. We've got this gathering of convictions. That's why Paul uses that second word. We must also display gentleness. Could be translated meekness. It's not a denying of certain powers, certain gifts, certain expertises, even certain preferences. But the thought about it is, is, is taking a power and harnessing that power. Harnessing it so that it then may be yielded to God's will. We all have thoughts. We all have opinions. We all have preferences. We all have perceived expertises. We all have convictions. Some pretty doggone strong but we must take them under control and express them with control for the sake of unity. For God's will to be done. And His will, His will, His will in part is for the bond of peace that comes from a unity of spirit, a bond of peace to be an identifying mark of his people. We are the garage in the rainy culture. And that takes humility. And that takes gentleness. If I could take one word out of Scripture because it's so convicting to me, it is the next word. We are to display patience. I am the most impatient person in the world. Melissa did not amen. I'm thankful to the Lord. As we live together as a family, so now we're getting the familia thing, so now we can, you think of family gatherings you've had, extended family gatherings even, and you know there might be someone in your family that you, it's like oil and water. They just kind of rub you the wrong way. There's things about them that frustrate you. There's people that have opposing views about certain things. 
And that thing might be really important to you, and you're just like sitting there, and I'm not going to get kicked out of here until I hit the buffet line, so I'm going to bear through it here. We must to have that peace that comes from that unity. We must purpose to be patient with one another. Just as the Lord has been incredibly patient to us, a lot of overlap between patience and long-suffering, and long-suffering is described everywhere of the Lord's posture towards the nation of Israel despite their constant rebellion. One commentator says that the thought behind this word is long-suffering towards aggravating people. And I'm like, you know what? I might be the aggravating person. This is where you're supposed to say no. And in addition to that, we need to be, and here's this last phrase, as we're patient, as we're patient. And and let me tell you something. Brothers and sisters of Grace Church DuPage, I see these things here. So this isn't like, hey, come on, gird up the loins. That's not what we're saying. This is, hey, let's just make sure that we are eager for these things because God is doing something especially wonderful here. He really is. And we need to patiently be bearing with one another in love. So it's not just tolerance and avoidance, but it's conductivity. It's staying with people. It's bearing with them out of love. It's still willing to bear their burdens. It's still a desire, even though, man, we're oil and water, but I'm going to try to mix again because I love them. They're a family member. It's a continued displaying of a patience to them. So the four links of the chain, the bond of peace, are humility, gentleness, patience, and a forbearing in love. And these four links can only come by the Spirit and by denial of self and by a grasp of what it is to which we have been called. We are part of God's great plan to unify all things in heaven and earth in Christ. So now we simply move to what is the center of that something. We get to verses 4 through 6, and you see a whole lot of one and one, one, one. Seven times the word one is used. We are one body brought together by one Spirit, we all share in one hope. The hope is every promise God has made, which includes the hope of the return of our Lord and a fully bringing back to him for all of eternity. That's our hope that we share. There is one Lord of our lives. We share that. It's the center of our oneness. We all have the same Lord, one Lord of our lives, one Lord of this church, Jesus Christ. We have one faith. We have one faith by which we enter. We are brought into the kingdom. We have one baptism. Could mean 
spiritual baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, regeneration, and the indwelling could be water baptism, the entrance point. Could be all of the above. That's the center of our oneness. See how these big eternal things, there's a big eternal purpose. God is unifying all things and they're built around these big eternal truths. It doesn't, and I'm not saying that, like when I, it, it shouldn't make you feel small when I say it's not ultimately about us. It's about him, and we get to participate in it because he's been gracious to us in Christ. It shouldn't make us small, but it should really give us a sense of privilege to what we've been called to. And therefore, we want to be zealous about walking in a way that's worthy to that calling. And all given by the seventh and last one, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We see here a Trinitarian expression, Father, Lord, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here is where we get to understand the privilege of our calling. We were created as image bearers. We were supposed to bear God's image and reflect that image as we took dominion of God's creation. And here, we would argue, our unity, our unity centered around these glorious eternal truths of, of, of verses 4 through 6, our calling is to be a reflection of the unity of the triune Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are perfectly unified all of the time. And into a world that does not know that God, we are supposed to reflect Him in many ways, including the unity of God. It is one God in three persons, three perfectly unified persons, all part of our great salvation. It is the one Holy Spirit who draws us, remakes us, makes us one. It is the one Lord who comes and dies for his church. It is the one Father who wills, who plans, and who purposes all these things. One God, three perfectly harmonized persons, and we, we get the privilege of reflecting him into the world. So when people come and they say, yeah, you guys just seem like you're unified and you're peaceful, we should say, yeah, that's our God. And that's our call is to reflect that God. And that is why it says it takes humility. It takes meekness. It takes patience. It takes bearing with one another in love. Because we're not naturally geared that way. But that is also why Paul says that we have to be eager. See, I didn't cheat you on the word. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Because of what, or better, who it is that we are reflecting to a lost, dark, separated, divided world 
That's who we are reflecting out to them. A world that is so divided, a world that is at such odds with one another, constantly fighting and bickering with one another. And we have a chance to show them. This is part of being light. This is part of being light. We have a chance to show them what true unity and true peace looks like. So every member of this family has to be eager, eager, eager through humility and meekness and patience and, and, and forbearing, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain that unity. We are part of something huge. How should we respond to this? How should we respond to this? First question we have to ask, are you part of this? There's some in here today that are not. Could be some folks who are watching today who are not. Are you part of this great bringing together? God sent his son this reunifying all things in heaven and earth is focused on the Son, Jesus Christ. God the Son who took on flesh. God the Son who lived in perfect accordance with the law, who lived in perfect righteousness, who lived in perfect accordance with the will of God, who never once strayed, who loved God the Father with his heart, mind, soul, and strength every millisecond he was on earth, though I haven't done it for one millisecond. And it's through him, by trusting in his work on the cross, that takes away sin, that takes away wrath, that takes away judgment and grants forgiveness grants freedom, grants eternal life. And at that point, once we've entered into Christ by faith, we have stepped into this great reunifying that we're part of. What a privilege to be part of that. What a calling to reflect that into the world. Are you part of that? Have you entered into Christ by faith? If you have... If you have, realize that you're part of something really big, really big and eternal. This is far beyond just us. This is far beyond me just not going to hell when I die. This is, a part, this is about being part of this great plan. Don't, don't go chasing causes that aren't the real thing. Find your purpose Find your meaning in Christ. Find it in his kingdom. Seeking God's righteousness in his kingdom. Find it in and through his church, the pillar and ground of truth. We have something the world wants. is don't want to go through Christ to get it. But realize we are part of something really big, really eternal. Recognize the privilege 
and purpose of reflecting the triunity of God. Remember my maxim of human behavior. People do what they value. The first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And part of the way we can do that, part of the way we can do that is by showing how valuable he is to us. And part of the way we can show how valuable he to, is to us by, is by reflecting him, by imitating him. They say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I would argue in terms of relationship with God, imitation is the sincerest form of glorification. That's why all of you and, and me that are in Christ, that's why we are being made into the image of Christ, is to glorify Christ. So recognize the privilege and purpose. Why do we want to strive for unity? Because it allows us the chance to reflect the God who we love because he saved me in Christ and brought me into his kingdom. I love him. I want his glory. I want his fame to spread. What a privilege that is. Just dwell on that. Chew on that. Love God because of the immense love that he has shown you in Christ. Then because of that, then we get to the be eager, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Where do you struggle? Is it in humility? Do you struggle when your desires aren't met within the church, your preferences are not met? Is it gentleness, writing it off as zeal for the faith? That's a trap we fall into. Is it a lack of patience for others in the body with the leadership of the body? That's not a self-serving point. Is it a lack of willingness to bear with one another in love no matter the cost for you? What do you struggle with? We all struggle with one of these, if not all of these to some degree. Brothers and sisters, measure your words. Measure your actions. And the standard of that measurement, so I'm going to measure my words. That's the big thing in churches. Usually we're not fist fighting. Once in a while am I ABF, but that doesn't happen in a while. You, most of the time it's words. We measure our words and the standard of that measurement, are those words going to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Or are they going to encourage disunity? That's our standard of measurement. We can say really hard things in ways that still encourage unity. Ask the Spirit to search your heart and stir in the heart a great eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit so that we, Grace Church, accurately reflect the one true triune God. Let's pray. If I could have the musicians come to the front and those who are going to help me serve the Lord's Supper. Dear Father, we are so grateful. We're so grateful that we have been brought into this. Father, you are a God that is, is on mission. You're a God who is on mission to, to, to rescue sinners from death to bring sinners who are far away from you to you through Christ.
And Father, we are your people, called to proclaim that message of rescue found in Christ, but also called to reflect you in all of your glory, including the unity that is found in our gracious, glorious, triune God. So Father, help us and grow us and make your face shine upon us as we do. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.